We are continuing in our series entitled Respectable Sins. We began this two weeks ago, so we kind of had a, um, an interruption last week. But, you know, I, I um, was really thankful for the message that my, uh, that my uh, dad preached on contentment last Sunday um, because uh, I think it fit well. Um, with the things we're talking about, even in this series as it began two weeks ago, um, looking at the, the sin of, of ungodliness. And um, then actually next week, Lord willing, we're planning, I'm planning to look at the sin of discontentment. So that will definitely come back to uh, the topic that my dad touched on last week from 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to have to avoid 1 Timothy 6. I think that was one of the passages I had written down as a possible uh, passage for that message, so I'll have to find a different one, uh, but uh, that's all right. Uh, but I'm very thankful because what I see, the more that I consider these truths, the more that I consider these particular sins um, that we as Christians often struggle with and yet tend to overlook or dismiss or or think just maybe aren't really that serious, um, the more I see that there's a lot of connections between them. That they tend, to, they tend in many cases, to come from uh, the same root causes uh, and uh, the same heart idols that contribute to these sinful behaviors and responses. And so I think it's helpful for us to examine all of them, or you know, the variety of them, and we may find, you may find, that um, you don't struggle with some of them or others, and yet you struggle with different ones. And so you may, but, but what, what's interesting to me as we think about it is you may actually realize that, that those particular sinful struggles may come from the same root source in you as they come from in someone else who struggles with a different aspect of these sins. And so the issue of ungodliness that we talked about two weeks ago may not be something that you really struggle with. You may, uh, may not have a difficult time living uh, life on a daily basis, thinking about God, praying to God, being aware of God in your life and thinking about His involvement in your life, giving Him credit for things that happen. That may not be difficult for you. And yet contentment may be. And, uh, or, or one of these other things. And so... Uh, we'll, we'll see that I think that, uh, that because there's quite a bit of overlap in these sins and oftentimes they come from a similar source that I think there's benefit and we can encourage one another as we examine these things. We can be open. I would encourage you uh, as we go through this series and we think about these sins to be open, to be honest with yourself and with others. I'm not saying you should go around and just walk up to people and say, hey, let me tell you what my sin struggle is this week. Um, but, you know, that may not be the opening lead of the conversation, but it wouldn't be a bad thing at some point if you have a conversation with someone that you know and trust that you can say, you know what, this is where I'm struggling. This is one of these sins that I do struggle with. I have a hard time with being content or I have a hard time with, uh, with these things and, and remembering that God is actively involved in my life okay. or something like that. And by confessing that and, 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 and speaking to one another, you, you, can, you can be encouraged because we can encourage one another. We can pray for one another. We can uh, help one another to struggle as we struggle with these things. And so I would encourage you to do that, to be open, uh, to be honest about these issues in your life. Again, these are sins that we might tend to dismiss, might tend to think, well, they're just not that big of a deal. 
But as we talked about last time, two weeks ago, the sin of ungodliness oftentimes leads to greater and more serious, what we might call more serious uh, sinful choices and behaviors. We looked at the example of Esau. Because of the sin of ungodliness, it caused him to make some very foolish decisions that he later couldn't take back and was very costly in his life. We realize that that's a danger. So I would encourage you not to overlook these sins, not to just say, well, you know, again, we tend to do this, not to say, well, you know, that's just who I am and uh, I can't really change, I can't really change who I am. That's just who I am. And so I want to encourage you to really uh, take these, these truths to heart as we consider them. So um, this morning, um, and we are... As I said, a lot of overlap, even with what we discussed, what was, t- what was uh, talked about last Sunday, warning about the love of money. Today, we're going to consider the sin of anxiety, or the sins, if you will, of anxiety and frustration. Anxiety and frustration. And um, as we begin that, I want to think about um, what is anxiety. You can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, Matthew chapter 6. We want to talk about the sins of anxiety and frustration. What is anxiety? Well, um, we all feel anxiety at times, don't we? You ever feel anxious? You ever worry? We all feel anxiety. That's something that we do have, all of us, on some level at some times or others. But what is anxiety? Well, the, uh, the dictionary says that anxiety is distress or uneasiness of mind caused by fear of danger or misfortune. I fear that something bad is going to happen. And so I have uh, distress uneasiness in my mind because I'm afraid of something bad that's going to happen. That's how the dictionary defines anxiety. Frustration is a related concern. Here's how the dictionary defines frustration. It is... um, Whoops, I'm in the wrong place. No, okay, frustration. It's a feeling of dissatisfaction often accompanied by anxiety or depression, resulting from unfulfilled needs or unresolved problems. And so I'm anxious when I'm I'm afraid that something bad is going to happen in the future. I get frustrated when uh, I am dissatisfied with the current situation. I either feel like I have a need or, or, or something that, I, that is unfulfilled. I should be getting something that I'm not getting. Or possibly, uh, I have a problem that's unresolved. And because it's an unresolved problem, there's a conflict, there's an issue, something's out of sorts, something's not working the way it should, and frustration is the response. And I think these two things are very closely tied together. The passage of Scripture we're going to look at this morning, Matthew chapter 6, is going to deal primarily with the issue of anxiety. Jesus is going to talk about anxiety. However, um, I, think that, um, I think that as we'll see as we go through this, that many of the points and the issues that we're dealing with anxiety also uh, relate to the issue of frustration. Uh, and... Uh, and that's, I think, important for us to see. Now, 
Um, obviously, the dictionary does not consider anxiety or frustration to be sinful. But the fact of the matter is, both anxiety and frustration are sinful responses to the everyday challenges of life. Now, what is it that makes anxiety a sin? Well, we're going to look at Jesus' teaching in just a moment and make it very, very clear, I think. But let me, let me just explain to you or express to you right up front uh, some of the reasons why anxiety and frustration ultimately are sins. And this is, first of all, because anxiety is a distrust of God. On a fundamental level, anxiety, worry, is a, an act of distrust in God. And secondly, it is a failure to accept God's providence in our lives. Right? And in fact, again, this I believe applies to both anxiety and frustration. Anxiety is caused by failing to trust God and failing to recognize that God is in control. He is providentially in control of the circumstances of my life. And frustration is the same. It has the same root issue. I'm frustrated because I don't trust God to work out the situation, and it's not working the way I think it should work. And I'm frustrated because I forget that God is the one who brings circumstances about in my life because he's in control of the events of my life. And so whether it's anxiety or frustration, and I would look at it, I would simply say this way, that I think that anxiety is when we respond to these things in fear. Frustration is when we respond to these things with anger. But basically, it's, I think, two sides of the same coin. In both cases, the issue is I'm not trusting God and I'm not remembering that God is the one who's in control. I mean, think about it. When you worry, when you worry, what you're saying to God is this, I just don't trust you to care for me or provide for my needs. When you worry about something that might happen in the future, when you worry about what's going to happen tomorrow or what's going to happen in a certain situation, what you're saying is, God, I just don't really trust you to do what's best and what's right in this situation. I don't really trust you to provide for me. That's why I'm worrying. Because I'm not trusting God. That's a serious insult, isn't it? I mean, if you went to someone that you loved, you, know, you have a spouse or a child or a parent, and you went to them and you said, I love you, but I just don't trust you to take care of me. I love you, but I don't really trust that you have my best interest at heart. That's not a very good way to start a conversation okay, with them, right? That's not going to get a very good response from them most of the time because it's an insulting way to talk to them. Well, I love you, but I don't think you really love me back. And that's really kind of at the root of what you're saying to them. And when we are worrying, that's really kind of what we're saying to God. God, I just don't know that I can really trust you in this area. I don't know that I can really trust you to provide for me or to protect me or to care for me or to take care of. And I don't know that I can really trust that you're good. And I'm not really sure all these circumstances that are happening in my life right now are good. And so when I worry about them, what I'm saying, or when I, get, when I get frustrated about them, I'm saying, God, this should be different than it is, and you haven't changed it yet. Okay. 
So the issue here really is about our relationship to God. It's about are we trusting God and recognizing that he is providentially in control. And so how do we deal with anxiety? Well, many Christians try to deal with anxiety, and not just Christians, but listen, I'm talking to Christians this morning. That's what I'm doing. All right, if you're not a Christian, then I don't say this to insult you, but I'm not really talking to you this morning. Because there's not really a lot I can tell you other than you need to trust Christ. Because none of the promises that we're going to look at this morning, none of the things we look at are applied to non-believers. They're only given to believers here. The assumption in everything Jesus is going to say is that these are believers. These are people who are children of God and belong to him. So if you're not, then none of these truths apply to you. I can't encourage you with any of this stuff. So I'm just saying that up front. Please understand, I'm not trying to insult you. I'm just telling you the truth. But as a Christian, how do we deal with anxiety? Well, many Christians, um, how do we deal with anxiety? We attempt to control. That's how I deal with anxiety. I want to control every aspect of my life. I want to plan. I want to organize everything. I want to deal with anxiety. I want to have a plan for every eventuality. And I want to make sure that everything in my life is planned out so that there's no chance, nothing is left to chance. See, right there is a problem. Because the truth is, according to the Bible, nothing is ever left to chance. Nothing. That's what I said. Anxiety, frustration, these are failures to trust God and failures to recognize that God is providentially controlling everything. Nothing is ever left to chance. Everything is always in God's hand. And we need to understand that. We'll talk more about that as we go here. When we respond with anxiety or frustration about our circumstances, we are denying the sovereignty of God. Because God uh, God causes those very circumstances which give us so much trouble. And frustration, again, uh, bubbles up because I get angry at the circumstances or the person's who are in my way, who are keeping me from controlling that aspect of my life that I want to be under control and getting the outcome that I desire. By the way, I have to say, you can't study a message like this and prepare to preach a message like this without being challenged in the area of frustration. Anxiety, to be honest with you, anxiety is not normally a major struggle for me. I'm not an anxious person. I don't struggle with anxiety, but frustration... Yeah. And this week, it's been a frustrating week. This morning has been a frustrating morning. I wish I could say that I just breezed through it. But I have to confess to the Lord that I struggle with this too. I have to confess to Him this morning. I was driving over to, I just said this, I was driving over to pick up Helen this morning. I mean, it wasn't because of you. Nothing to you. I was driving to pick up Helen this morning, and as I was driving over there, I was praying, Lord, forgive me, because I got frustrated this morning. And why did I get frustrated? Because my schedule didn't work out the way I wanted it to. And you know what? Some of that was my fault, and some of that was God. There's just stuff I couldn't have controlled. And I had to confess, you know, Lord, I got frustrated about this, but you're the one in control. And I need to just trust you with it. It's okay. And it is okay. But that's the thing. I, I have to learn these lessons too. So I tell you that because it's important to understand that these are things that we struggle with and we have to be willing to confess and we need to be willing to acknowledge them. Now, 
my response to the difficult situations of life, to the unknowns, is either going to be obedience or sin. That's our choice here. And that's the issue we're going to consider this morning. So in Matthew chapter 6, and uh, Jerry Bridges in his book, Respectable Sins, notes this. He says, the opposite of trust in God is either anxiety or frustration. And Jesus had a lot to say about anxiety. So let's turn to Matthew 6 and look at what Jesus had to say. Look at verse 25. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus here is speaking to his disciples and to crowds of people that have gathered around that he's speaking to. It's a, it's a section called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he's there uh, in the, the region of Galilee on the hillside. People are there. He's speaking to them. So for chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew, it's one extended sermon. It, it, it probably was much longer than this. This is the edited version. We have the abridged copy here. All right, uh, but what Jesus said, but here's the basic thing. So verse 25, Jesus says this, Therefore, by the way, that word's important. We're going to have to at least consider the context of it preceding just in a minute. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray and ask God's help as we consider these uh, challenging words from Christ. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you this morning and acknowledge, I acknowledge readily that I need you today. I need your help. I need your strength to be able to speak the truth about these issues, to be able to uh, ex- uh, explain the truth that Jesus is presenting to us here is important. Lord, help me not to take it lightly. Help me to, to be able to express the truths that are found in this passage in a very clear way and a helpful way. I pray that you'd help us to receive them. Help us not to try to make excuses for why this stuff doesn't apply to us or why this just isn't an answer that works for us, but help us to trust you and to believe your word. And Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts here as we consider this issue. How are we going to respond to the difficulties of life, to the unknowns Are we going to be anxious? Are we going to get frustrated? Or are we going to trust you and rest in the knowledge that you are good and you're in control? I pray that you'd help me as I speak to bring your honor and glory to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a lot of, and I struggled this week with trying to figure out how best to approach this passage and how to go into it. There's a lot that could be said here. Let me just give just a brief look at the context here so we can understand why uh, or what Jesus is talking about in the greater context here of the passage. And then I want to just try and and walk through very simply 
uh, some very simple observations based on what Jesus has said here. Uh, I told Greg yesterday, I'm going to leave a lot on the table here. If we come back to this at some point, sometime in the future, I can come back to this passage. There's a whole lot of stuff that I'm not going to deal with because we're just going to try to focus on the, 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 the keys here dealing with this issue. But I said verse 25 begins with the word therefore. That tells us that Jesus is drawing a conclusion based on something he said before this. And just before this, uh, these verses, what we read in verses 19 to 24, Jesus is talking about the issue of wealth, money. How should we view money? And he's talking there, uh, first of all, he talks about laying up treasure in heaven, right? Not on the earth. And so Jesus is really talking there, not so much about money per se, although money is a big factor, but he's really talking there about our perspective. Where is our focus? Is our focus on this life or is our focus on eternity? And Jesus says we need to be focused on eternity so that we're not storing up treasure for this life, we're storing up treasure for eternity. And Jesus says that's going to demonstrate, it's going to be demonstrated in how we use our money. Money is going to show where our heart really is. But the issue that Jesus is dealing with is where are we looking at? Are we really focused on heaven and eternity or are we just focused on the here and now? And Jesus challenges us, we need to focus on heaven and eternity. And we're going to show that by how we use our money. Then he kind of takes that and he goes right into talking about the issue of money as a God. Because we realize that for many people, that's a challenge. Money becomes a God. And he says that we're going to have to choose who, whom we will worship. And that's uh, in verses, uh, really verse uh, 24, it's focused on this, but, it, but verses 22 to 24, he's kind of dealing with this issue of, of light versus darkness. And, and what are we going to serve? What is our, our focus going to be? And are we going to serve um, money? We're going to serve money as a God or are we going to serve the Lord? And he says, you can't have two masters. You can't have two who are in charge. You can only have one. One is supreme. So who's it going to be? And so Jesus is challenging these people, his disciples. But again, lots of crowds here listening. Jesus is challenging them that they need to evaluate their own life. Where is your focus? Who are you serving? And in the context of all of that, he then begins to draw some conclusions about practical matters in life. And that's where we get to verse 25. So he says, therefore, why? Because you can't serve two masters. You got to choose which master you're going to serve. And of course, Jesus is saying, serve God. <laughs> but, but you got to choose. And, and therefore, look, I say to you this. Here's the conclusion. Here's what you should do. Here's how you can serve God and not serve money. You want to know how you can serve God and not serve money? Well, start in verse 25 and work your way down. That's what Jesus is saying. Therefore, I say to you this. What do I say? Do not worry about your life. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or about your body, what you're going to put on. Jesus says, I'm telling you, you need a radical change in perspective. And he's going to explain that then throughout the next several verses. And Jesus uses... The closest word in the New Testament to anxiety, we don't, the New Testament doesn't really use the word anxiety. Some modern translations might use the word anxious here and there, um, or some translations might, but it's not, a, it's not a commonly word used word. But the word that he uses there in verse 25, in the New King James, it's, it's do not worry. 
Right? That's how it's translated. Uh, the word there in the Greek means literally to be distracted. And it's the, it's the closest thing we have in the Bible to this word anxiety or worry. It would, do not worry is a good translation of it. Because it means don't be distracted. In fact, there's another passage you might be familiar with in the book of Luke where uh, Jesus and his disciples dropped in on Mary and Martha's house unannounced. How many of you, you know, how many of you ladies would like to get um, an unannounced visit from, I mean, he had 12 disciples, so there's 13 men just dropped in. Hey, we want some, we're kind of hungry. We like to be fed, you know. Um, we've been walking all day. We're tired and hungry and we want to be fed. I mean, just dropped in. Oh, hey, you know, we're going to put some food on the table. So what is it? You remember the story. Um, Martha, we, what he says is Martha was distracted. That's the, same, that's the word that's used there, the same word. Martha was worried. She was, she was anxious. She was distracted with serving. By the way, she was distracted with a good thing, serving. She's trying to get food on the table. She's trying to get a meal ready for these men. She's concerned about their physical needs. She's distracted. And notice the difference. What, what was the contrast there? Her sister Mary. What did Mary do? When Martha's so busy trying to get all this food together, what's Mary doing? Anybody remember? Sitting down. Oh, lazy Mary. <laughs> She's sitting down at Jesus' feet, listening to him. And Martha's upset. She gets irritated with Mary and, and Jesus, and she confronts Jesus. Tell my sister to get in here and help me. And Jesus says, no, no, Martha. Martha, he says, you're so distracted by, about many things. He uses this term. You're so distracted, Martha. But Mary, he says, has chosen the, the better thing. You see, Mary wasn't distracted. Mary wasn't distracted by these temporal things, food and drink. And worried about all that stuff. Martha was. So Jesus was pointing out here, the real issue between Mary and Martha wasn't the choice of whether to sit down and listen to him teach or the choice of whether to cook a meal. The real issue was a heart issue. Martha, your heart is distracted. You are anxious about the things of this life. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He says, you have a choice. You're going to serve God or you're going to serve money. Here's how we can see who you're serving, and here's how we can choose to serve God. Don't be anxious about the things of this life. He says, don't be anxious, don't be worried, don't be distracted about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear. Now, Jesus, as he walks through this passage, really makes three uh, points about anxiety. And I'm just going to make them for you this morning as we go through three points about anxiety that Jesus makes. Um, and then I'm going to try to explain how the, the, the passage supports these points. And then we're going to look at the end and just talk about some con- kind of concluding uh, responses. How do we respond? How do we deal with this? Okay. But let's just say this first. And, and the first thing that Jesus says, verses 25 to 27, is that anxiety is stupid. Anxiety is stupid. And, and I, please don't get angry with me. Well, you can get angry with me, but let me explain why. Anxiety is stupid. I don't say that to insult you. It's because it's true. And what Jesus says here makes it really obvious. Anxiety is stupid. Look at verse 25. Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what you, your body, what you're going to wear. Is not, look at the question, is not life more than food? and the body more than clothing. You see what Jesus is saying here? 
Who gave you, who gave you life? Where'd your life come from? Anybody? God. Not your parents? Now see, your parents are the, the means by which God gave you life. But God gave you life. In fact, Psalm 139 says that God knows not just the, the life you're going to live, but God knows the number of days. Right? Before you were made, he had already counted your days. He already knew the days. That means that your life today that you're living, this day that God has given you to live is a gift from God. He gave you the life. And I don't mean just life in general. I mean today, this very moment, the fact that you're existing right now and breathing in life is because God has given that to you. He gave you life. Who made your body? Again, God. We can say our parents, but God used your parents as the mechanism, as the means to create your body. Psalm 139 again right? You, God, you knit me together in my mother's womb, right? God, you did this. You created my body. You gave me my life. Jesus says, isn't the body or isn't life more than food? I mean, which of the two is more difficult to create? I mean, you can go home and make a meal and make food, no problem. Life? No. Again, God's the creator of life. See, the point is, Jesus is saying, listen, if we're going to examine these things, we've got life and we've got food. We've got body and clothing. Which one is greater? Life is greater than food. Body is greater than clothing. Because the life is far greater. Now, we realize food is important, isn't it? We need food to sustain life, but the life itself is more important. The life itself is greater than the food that we use to sustain it. We need clothing to protect the body, but the body is more important. The body is greater than the clothing. And if God has given us our bodies, and if he has filled our bodies with life, think about this. Just, Just think through this for a second. If God has given you today to live, then he must, because of the way that he's made you, he must give you the food and clothing necessary for today. He must, because if he didn't, you would die. Right? I don't think that's too complicated. God has provided for you what you need to live today. If he didn't, you would be dead already. So the very fact that you're living is proof that God... Because your life is greater than food and your body more than raiment. God has and does provide the means to sustain your life. The very fact that you're living is proof. And so here's the problem with this. Why do we worry? I said anxiety is stupid. Jesus says your life is more than food and your body more than clothing. We worry because we do not think about God's gift of life. We worry because we don't think about and understand that God gave me this life. It's God who sustains this life. God gave me this body. It's God who clothes this body. If we think about this, Jesus is saying, just think for a second. Your your, your life is more than food. Your body is more than clothing. It's just rational. It's just reasonable. Think about it. 
Anxiety is stupid. Worry is stupid. It's foolish. Because God has given you life, and life is far more than food. Anybody can provide food. God gave you life. Body is far more than clothing. Anybody can give you clothing. God gave you a body. He formed it. This is what God has done. Therefore, you don't need to worry about food or clothing. Now, verse 26, he goes on, because there's another reason that we worry here that illustrates this, the foolishness, the stupidity of worrying. Look at the birds of the air. I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems like in the last couple of weeks, the birds have all of a sudden started coming around again, really active. I see them flying around all, the, all over the place. Um, you know, it, it's an encouraging sign. Right? <laughs> Something's coming. Um, but, but look at the birds, he says. Jesus encourages us, by the way, to look. Pay attention, he says. Pay attention. And what is it we're supposed to observe about the birds? They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't store in barns. They don't practice agriculture. They don't do what people do to collect up food. Does that mean that the birds go hungry? What does he say? No, he says, your father feeds them. Your heavenly father feeds them. By the way, that language is not accidental either. He he didn't say the bird's heavenly father feeds them. He says your heavenly father. This is part of the point he's going to make here. God's relationship to you is different than God's relationship to the birds. God is their creator and he feeds them. But he's your father if you're a Christian. See, that's a whole different level. But, But... Notice how he says here. He says, your heavenly father feeds them. And then he asks asks this question at the end of the verse. This question is important. Are you not of more value than they? We worry because we don't think about God's provision for the animals. Jesus says, look at them. Jesus says, you know what? You get so busy and you just ignore the fact that all around you are all these animals. Look at the birds around you. You just, if you took a few minutes to look at them and think about their life, you'd realize that your life is so much more important than theirs. That God cares about you so much more because he's your father. He's not their father. He's their creator. He made them. He, he feeds them, but he's your father. Okay. Certainly he's going to provide for you. You're so much more valuable than them. He feeds them. He's going to feed you. Don't worry about it. You see, this is the thing. Jesus is trying to get us to pay attention to things that are obvious, things that are around us. Yes, it's obvious that life is more than food and our bodies more than clothing. It's obvious that the birds don't go out and plant and harvest and grow crops and store up food for the winter, and yet God feeds them and they somehow survive. If we just take time to to notice these obvious things, we realize that anxiety is really stupid. That worry is really foolish. There's just no point in it. Look at verse 27. Here's where it really kind of brings this all to a head. He says this, Which of you, love this question, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to a stature? That translation is a little bit misleading, by the way. The the, the words, it's accurate, but it's a little bit misleading because it gives us the idea that he's talking about growing taller. But that's not what he's talking about here. He says add one cubit uh, to a stature. What he's really talking about is to your life. In the context here, that word stature can mean, the word stature can mean either your physical height or your length of life. But I think in the context here, it's, it's, it's referring to length of life. Because he's talking about worrying about your life. What are you going to eat? What are you going to wear? Don't worry about your life. You can't add 
I mean, anybody in here, well, I shouldn't ask that question. Some of you are short. You might want to add some. You might want to add a cue at your height. But, but uh, you know, most people, if they could, would love to add some length to their life. I mean, maybe we get more perspective and realize it's not a good idea. But, but you know, that, that seems to be kind of a, na- a natural human tendency. I want to live longer. I want, to, I want to live. I want to live longer. I want to extend my life. That's kind of the thought process of a lot of people. And Jesus is saying, listen, if, if, can you extend your life by worrying? There's actually a more fundamental question to that is, can you extend your life at all? Can you extend your life in any way? Is there anything you can do to make your life longer? Well, you know, people will say, well, you should have a good diet and exercise. That'll, you'll, you'll live longer that way. You know, sometimes some, you ever see those you know, kids, high school basketball player, 18 years old, he's on the basketball court, drops over dead of a heart attack, and he's gone. And you go, well, he's in great shape. You know? How did that happen? Well, it's because you can be in the best shape of, of, of anybody, and you can't extend your life. God is in control of this. You cannot live any longer than God allows you to live. That goes back to the first point in verse 25. God gave you life. He, he created your life. He gave you life. He sustains your life. But the minute he chooses to stop that, you're done. So guess what? Worry about it all you want. You can't add a minute to your day. You can't add any length to your life. So worry is pointless. And the problem is we worry because we're not thinking about our human limitations. We're not being honest about the fact that there are things we just don't control. And so anxiety is really stupid when you think about it. Why get anxious about the length of my life? I can't add any time to it. It's outside of my control. It's outside of my hands. When I'm worrying, I'm not out there taking initiative to provide for those needs. That is, by the way, one of the means that God uses to provide for us. We get out and we work. You know, the, the, the birds don't sow and they don't reap and they don't gather in the barns, but people do and should because God created us to do that and he made this that way. That's how he provides food for us many times because we go and we work and we earn and we provide food. But we recognize God is the one who's providing, ultimately. So when I'm worrying, I'm not doing that. I'm not getting out and providing food, but I'm also not sitting back and waiting, God, waiting for God to bring me food either. I'm not going to just sit there, well, I'm not going to go and work and earn a living. I'm just going to ask God to provide. God, just give me the food I need and the clothing because you said you'll give it to me, and I'm going to just stay here at home and wait for you. Well, that's not right either, okay? But the reality is when I'm worrying... When I'm worrying, it's as if I think somehow that by, by worrying or being frustrated about it, getting anxious about it, I can make something happen. In fact, some of the things I read this week suggested that people think, people actually can begin to think that, that worry keeps them safe. Because if I don't worry about something, then bad things are going to happen to me. And when I worried about it, I, then I, everything went okay, so I worried and that kept me safe. <laughs> Jesus says, listen, you can worry all you want. It isn't going to help you. It isn't going to do anything productive. It's a waste of time and energy and resource. So it's foolish. It's stupid. Jesus says, don't be anxious. 
And he just points some very obvious things here that should cause us to go, you know what? Yeah, he's right. Worry? I shouldn't worry here. No reason to worry. Now, there's another reason that, that worry is a problem, another reason not to worry. And Jesus talks about this in verses 28 through 30. And this, the second point that he makes is this. Anxiety is faithless. Anxiety is faithless. Anxiety is faithless. Look at verse 28. Why do you worry about clothing? Now, he uses another illustration from the natural world. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Jesus, why is he talking about clothing here? Why is he talking about clothing? He, he points out the lilies here. He says, consider the lilies of the field. They don't toil, they don't spin. Then he says, I say to you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. This is an interesting section because here, he didn't seem to just be talking about clothing as a covering. You know? I mean, clothing as protection for our bodies. He's talking about here clothing as adornment, something that beautifies, right? I mean, he compares the, 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 the wildflowers that grow up in the field that, that just pop up there after the rain and they grow up in the field. They don't do anything to produce clothing or anything like that. And yet he says they're, they're, they're adorned. They're arrayed in a, in a more beautiful, more splendid way than King Solomon in all of his glory. And Jesus says, verse 30, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you of you love faith? The issue here is the question of faith. Right at the end of that section, he, called, he, he speaks to them and he says, oh, you of little faith. The problem here is that when we're anxious, we're not exercising faith. We're faithless. Anxiety is faithless. And there's some aspects of faith here that are important for us to understand that Jesus, I think, is touching on. The first is this. We worry because our faith is limited to spiritual things. As Christians, we tend to do this. We tend to think, well, I believe God will save me from my sins and give me eternal life. And that's good. That's what faith is for, right? Faith is for trusting in Christ so that we can be saved from our sins and we can know we're going to heaven and have that eternal home in heaven. Great. We need to remember that faith is more than that. That faith uh, is not just limited to spiritual things. We trust God to save us from our sins. And then sometimes as Christians, even while we're trusting God to save us from our sins and give us eternal life in heaven, we fail to trust Him to provide and meet our everyday needs. You see, there's an inconsistency there. We're thinking of faith in terms only of spiritual things. And yet faith is a way that we trust God for our material things too. You see, God, God, God works in both areas. We act as though our faith only applies to spiritual things, not to material things, not to the mundane things of this life. Someone said once that we, we believe on Jesus, but we don't believe Jesus. So we believe on Jesus because we're going to trust Him to save us from our sins and give us eternal life. But we don't believe Him when He says, don't worry, I'm going to provide. Or when He says, ask and it'll be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open. Jesus tells us to do these things and we, we worry because we're not trusting Him 
We're not believing what he says about these things. And so we worry because we think of faith only in terms of a spiritual thing. It, it sounds pious to say that, you know, well, I'm, I'm going to trust God to save me from my sins. That's what faith is all about. Our salvation, Christian life isn't about material things. It's not about this life. It's all about heaven and eternity. And Jesus did say, we need to be thinking and laying up treasure in heaven, right? But he didn't say, he, the whole passage here, he's clearly saying, we also need to trust God to provide for this life too. We need to have faith in God now to provide for us and take care of us now. Because our our faith is not limited to just spiritual things. God also provides materially. He provides physically for us. And we need to trust Him. So that's what our faith is for. The second issue here, and this is a a real challenge, um, but notice what Jesus says there in verse 28. He says, consider the lilies of the field. That word consider means to, to examine, to observe, and to think carefully about something. It's a stronger word than he used back in verse 26 when he said, look at the birds of the air. That was just open your eyes and see them. This is consider, look closely and think about the lilies of the field, the wildflowers. What is Jesus telling us to do? He's telling us that we need to use our minds. We need to use our minds. Again, why do we worry? Sometimes we worry because we have this idea that faith is mystical. (laughs) That faith is mystical. It's something that just kind of happens. Not that faith is active and thoughtful. Jesus says, use your mind to consider the lilies of the field. Use your mind to examine the natural world. And what you'll see when you look at those wildflowers and you look at the beauty of those flowers is you'll see that they are more splendid than King Solomon was. Can you imagine King Solomon's robe was probably made of purple because purple in ancient times was pretty much the, the most expensive color you could get. The dye was very costly, very difficult to get. So purple was a sign of, of wealth. And, and certainly you can imagine that Solomon uh, seated on his throne uh, with a, a flowing purple robe and, and, and just brilliantly adorned. And Jesus says, just go out and look at the wildflowers that are growing in the field. They, they're more splendid than Solomon was. And who did that? God did that. God did that for them. He took care of those flowers and gave them that beautiful adornment. See, again, Jesus says you need to think. You need to draw conclusions from what you see. Because faith is not just kind of a, 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 I don't know, just sitting back and waiting for God to do something. Faith is not just, uh, just kind of, you know, shutting our minds off and going into neutral, some sort of, you know, meditation on, you know, nothing. That's not faith. Faith is based in truth. Faith is based in, it's, it's about thinking. It's about examining what's in front of us. And Jesus encourages us to do that. We exercise faith because we look at the world and we see how God works. And we realize that God clothes these flowers. Certainly he's going he's to clothe us. And so Jesus is encouraging us to see that, that faith is not a, a mystical thing. It's something that we need to think We need to reason. We need to examine. We need to look at the world around us and understand how God is working. And then trust Him. And finally, verse 26 here, um, or I'm sorry, back in verse 26, and I mentioned this already, that he, He calls God our Heavenly Father. 
there speaking about God feeding the birds. But this is also true in verses 28 through 30, and he's emphasizing this issue of faith. But the reason we worry is that we don't understand the nature of our salvation. He calls God our Heavenly Father. John chapter 1, John says that to those that believed on Jesus, he has given the power to become sons of God. The Bible tells us that as Christians, when we trust in Christ, we become the children of our Heavenly Father. And if we understand that, if we understand that when we get saved, we become the the children of God. There's different phrases that are used for us in in the New Testament. The book of Hebrews calls us sons of glory. It says that Jesus is bringing many sons with him to glory. Philippians 1 says that we can be confident that he will continue his work in us until it is completed. So again, if we understand our salvation, we understand that He is our Father, we understand who God is. Jesus is trying to get us to see this and understand our relationship to God. And that's why we should have faith and not worry. Jesus said the problem with anxiety is it's faithless. It's it's not having faith or it's little faith. We need to understand that God has saved us, and He will provide. He will take care of us, just like He takes care of those wildflowers. There's an interesting contrast here, too, because um, he, he talks about how the grasses of the field are, in verse 30, are bundled up and thrown into the oven. Um, in, in Palestine, they don't have a lot of trees. So in order to provide fuel, for fire, they would bundle up the grass. When the grass springs up in the springtime, they cut it, they dry it out, and they bundle it up, and they sell it in bundles. And you can use those bundles, and they burn those bundles of grass. That's what he's referring to. This is the the destiny of the grass. It's to be bundled up and burnt. But here's a contrast. What is your uh, destiny as a child of God? It's to live eternally with Him. Again, if God has saved you, how could you think he would not lavishly provide for you? How could you think he wouldn't uh, protect you and care for you and give you everything you need? You see, we under, if we understand that, that he has saved us, we're not the grass that's going to get bundled up and thrown in the fire. We are children of God that are going to live with him forever. And therefore, because we understand that salvation, we trust him and we don't worry. Now, thirdly here, in the last verses of this chapter, Jesus tells us another thing about anxiety. He says anxiety is pagan. Anxiety is pagan. And the reason that we worry, one reason that we worry is that we have an unbiblical worldview. We have an unbiblical worldview. Verse 31, he says, don't worry. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? These aren't things that Christians should be saying. Why? Notice what it says in verse 32. For after all these things the Gentiles seek. That word Gentiles is the word for pagans. It's just the word for the the nations. All that mass of humanity outside of the covenant people of Israel. Those people that don't know God. Those people that don't have any connection or relationship to God. This is the pagan world. And what do those people who don't know God, who have no connection to God, what do they do? They seek after food, drink, and clothing. In fact, 
For the world that doesn't know God, those things are the be-all and end-all of life. That's the chief purpose of life, right? Is to get food and clothing to supply yourself with everything you need for this life. That's all that they're thinking about. There's no thought given for eternity. There's no thought given for anything else. It's simply, I want to provide for this. The chief end of my life is food, drink, and clothing. That's it. Basic needs. I just want to have what I want to survive and enjoy this life. That's what this world does. And he says, that's what the pagans do. That's what the unbelievers do. They seek after security, material security. And material security becomes an idol. That's the goal. I have to have security. I have to know that I've got my pension set up and I'm going to be good at retirement. I have to know that I'm going to be taken care of. I've got to have, uh, you know, I've got to know that my insurance coverage is going to cover everything. I, I, I can't have any, leave anything out. Everything has to be taken care of. And Jesus says, that's what the Gentiles do. That's what the pagans do. They seek after that. They seek after this to really to fulfill this idol of security. That's what I call it. And it leads to all sorts of problems. Worry, stress, physical illness, family conflict, substance abuse, sleeplessness, obsessive behaviors, workaholism, irritability, hopelessness, and despair. That's what, that's what the unbelievers do. That's what the pagan world does. All they do is pursue, their whole life is the pursuit of these material things. He says that if you're a believer, you should not be reacting to things the way that the world reacts. In fact, that's what uh, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's a preacher in England a number of decades ago, he asked this question about this verse. He says, is my reaction essentially different from what it would be if I were not a Christian? When I'm confronted with a difficult situation or a concern or a possible danger or a problem, is my reaction essentially different from what it would be if I weren't a Christian? That's what Jesus is saying here. Don't go about life acting the way the pagans do. Going out and worrying about food, clothing, and drink. And so we worry because we have an unbiblical worldview. We're seeing the world through the eyes of unbelievers. And even as Christians, we can do that. Then he goes on and he says this, that we, relearn, we, we worry because we've not learned to rely on God. Look at the last part of verse 32. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Doesn't God know? See, the pagans, the pagans, they, they spend their whole life pursuing these things. Food, drink, clothing. That's what they spend their entire life and every minute of every day thinking about, worrying about, obsessing over, trying to figure out how to get more and better and nicer and more expensive, whatever. And Jesus says, don't you realize that your heavenly Father already knows that you need those things? You see, by the way, Jesus is not saying, you don't need food. You don't need clothing. See, some Christians have thought, you know what, the, the answer to this problem is I'm going to just give away everything I have. I'm going to go off to live in the wilderness some, someplace as a hermit. I'm just going to live on nothing. I'll just live, I'll just, I'll just swear off everything. 
I won't have anything in this life. I won't own anything. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says your heavenly Father knows you need these things. It's not wrong to have food and clothing and drink. God knows you need them, but that's the point. God knows that already. And you and I need to learn to rely on Him. The unbelieving world, the pagans, the, the Gentiles, He says here, they don't have a heavenly Father who loves them and cares about them and will provide for their needs. But you and I as Christians, we should know that. We need to learn to rely on that. This is where there's a connection to the sin of ungodliness, by the way. Because the sin of ungodliness, living as if God isn't really involved in my life in any way, can creep in and lead to worry. Because I forget that God is our Heavenly Father who's intimately involved in our lives. We forget that God is actually doing things in our life right now. We're not relying on Him. That's the sin of ungodliness. And it leads us to worry. And how anxious about how He's going to meet our needs. And finally, look at verse 33 here. We're fast running out of time. We worry because we're not seeking to know and be like Christ. Seek first, Jesus says. Don't be like the pagans. Don't be like the unbelievers. Don't be worried about all this stuff. Don't be anxious. But instead, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. I wish I could spend a lot of time on this verse, really unpacking it. There's a number of other connections to other things that Jesus says in this Sermon on the Mount that we could bring in and other places. I just want to simply say it this way, that, that as believers, our lives are to be radically different from the life of an unbeliever. We are to be living in light of the kingdom of God that we hope for and long for on earth, that, that Jesus Christ is going to bring. That should be the thing we are living for, looking for that kingdom. Elsewhere, Paul talks about it, I believe it's in the book of Titus, that we're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That should be how we as Christians live every day of our lives. That's radically different from the way the unbelievers live. I believe that's what Jesus is saying here. You need to be looking and living your life, looking forward to the kingdom of God. Pursuing His goals. And see, we worry because we're not actively pursuing Him. We're not actively pursuing a relationship with Him. We're not actively pursuing righteous living. We're not actively pursuing uh, that, that, that the kingdom of God, that hope and living in light of the kingdom of God. We're not doing that. And when we fail to do that, when we get away from that, it's very easy then for us to become anxious, become worried. This is helpful to us, by the way. We want to talk really, as we conclude, about overcoming anxiety. I think there are some helpful observations we can take away from this passage. Because it's not enough just to say, stop worrying. <laughs> right? That doesn't work. You, you can't just stop doing it. All right? I mean, it'd be great if we could just say, stop it. It'd be done. Okay. Stop worrying. No, no, no. There's something we have to start doing. 
See, the issue isn't, and the Bible always tells us this, right? When there's a sin, we have to put off the sin and we have to put on something else. We have to put on some righteousness in some way. So what is it we need to start doing? Well, there's some, some practical truths here in this passage that I think can help us to deal with this issue of anxiety or, again, frustration. And I haven't talked a lot about that as we've gone through here, but I think many of these points apply equally to the issue of frustration in our lives. First of all, we need to learn to think properly about God's activity in the world. We've got to train our mind. You need to start thinking and start examining things. Start paying attention to some of the details. Jesus says it. Look at the birds. Consider the lilies. Engage your mind here. You can't just check in and neutral and go along. You do that and you're going to be worried about everything. No, Jesus says engage your mind. Learn to think properly about what God is doing in the world. Learn to look out your window and see in nature, hey, God, his hand hand is here. God is doing something here. Learn to see that because that will help you to realize that God has not forgotten about you and God is not off in some distant place. He is here and now working in the world all around you. And you know if he's doing that to the birds and the grass and the flowers, he's caring for you. So learn to think rightly about what God is doing in the world today. Secondly, and this is closely related to that, believe what the Bible says about God's care for His children. Again, what did Jesus say? Your Heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when you have a particular need that arises in your life, a financial need or a physical need or a material need of some kind, do you believe that God already knows about that? Before it happens? Do you believe that, really? You need to. Now you say, but, but it's hard. Yeah, I know. You have to choose to believe it. That's the point here. That's what I'm saying. This. That's why I worded this the way that I did. Choose to believe this. You have to believe that in spite of what your anxious heart and mind wants to do. You have to stop and say, no, no, I know the truth. God knows this need. God already knows what I need here. You get frustrated about things that are going on, circumstances in your life, a person in your life that's not reacting the way you want them to act or not doing what you want them to do or or something's in your way and blocking something you think needs to happen or something's just not working out right. I mean, that's the story of my life, okay? Something's just not working the way I wanted it to work. It's It's just not coming together. Well, what's the answer? Believe that God is actively involved in caring for my life right in this moment. I'm going to stop and say, you know what? God, I know that you're here right now. I know that you're working in my life. And if that person in, is in the way, or that issue, is, that issue is not resolved, or this thing isn't working the way that I want it to work, it's not some random accident. God, I know it's you doing something in my life. And I want, to, I want you to, 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 to work in my life. This is what we need to do. We need to choose to believe what God's Word says. Okay. Thirdly, Make your relationship with God the central focus of your life. Again, I think that's what verse 33 is really about. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Make your relationship with God the central focus of your life, and everything else should revolve around that. Everything. Your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children, your relationship with your parents, your, your, your job, your work, your, your, uh, you know, your, your fun, your playtime activities, whatever. All of the things that you do in your life should revolve around one central thing, which is God, is, is the focus of my life. 
I want to know God. I want to walk with God. I want to enjoy God. I want to experience God. I want to be in his presence. That should be the single thing that is central to your life and everything else should fit around that. When we go after making God the center and making God the central focus of our life, that's what we're doing, seeking the kingdom of God first, prioritizing that. He says, all these things shall be added to you. Why? We don't have to worry about that stuff because I'm focused, I'm worrying about God. I'm going to get anxious about something. You know what I'm going to get anxious about? I'm going to get anxious about seeing God and knowing God and being with God. That's what I'm distracted by. I always want to be there. I want to know God. I want to be with God. I want to learn more. I want to, I want to fellowship with Him. I want to experience more of God's uh, uh, work in my life and see Him change me and transform me. That's the occupation. That's what preoccupies me so that it distracts me from all of the other things that I would worry about. See, That's the picture here. We don't take food, clothing, and drink and put that in the middle and then build everything around that like the pagans do. No, no, we put God in the middle. And the rest of life built around that. Make your relationship with God the central focus of your life. One more point here, just from verse 34, because we didn't touch on this, and I want to just make this point. Refuse to borrow against tomorrow's troubles today. You really ought to take time to look at verse 34 and meditate on it. It's not just a... um, you know, Jesus didn't just like not know how to stop, so he repeated himself. Um, there's a reason that he says what he says in verse 34. Because our tendency is, as if I don't have enough to worry about today, I'm going to worry about tomorrow too. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't have enough trouble today, I'm going to have to add the trouble of what, what's going to happen tomorrow. Well, what if this and what if that? And I begin to play that game. And Jesus says, <laughs> listen, every day has enough evil in it. Enough trouble in it. There's no promise here of a life of ease and comfort where nothing ever goes wrong and nothing hard ever happens. Jesus says there's sufficient trouble today. Don't borrow tomorrow's trouble. <laughs> you got enough to deal with today. Trust God to provide for you today. And don't borrow against tomorrow's trouble. I hope that you will examine your heart today. Hope that you'll ask God to show you areas in your life, maybe that you're causing you uh, anxiety and frustration, things that you need to, you need to say, you know, Lord, I, I haven't been trusting you in this area. Maybe I've been faithless. I haven't been living as a Christian. I've been living like a pagan. Or maybe I've just been, been stupid. And I don't mean that as an insult. I mean that maybe I've just not been paying attention. I've just not been really thinking very hard about this stuff. And I should know better than to worry about that. God, forgive me and help me to, to think better about that. Sometimes it's not willful sin. Sometimes it's just carelessness. We're just not thinking very carefully. We don't really realize how foolish it is to to worry the way we're worrying. Whatever that is, whatever is going on in your life, whatever the area is that's causing you anxiety or frustration, I hope that you'll examine that and that you'll confess that to the Lord and just ask God to help you, to trust Him, to rest in Him, to realize what He's doing in your life. Begin to implement these, these, these practical steps and I think you'll see we will see that we can trust the Lord. We'll find Him to be faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thankful this morning as we conclude that we have the promise, all of these promises in Your Word of provision. Oh, I realize that that doesn't mean that we're going to be rich. It doesn't mean we're always going to be healthy. We're never going to have any problems. Certainly that's not implied here in anything Jesus is saying. 
And yet, even as we face those trials and the difficulties, we realize we have the promise of your presence, the promise of your provision, the promise of your protection. Help us, Lord, to reject anxious thoughts, to refuse to worry, to refuse to give in to that temptation when it comes, and instead to cast our cares on you and to remind ourselves of what you've said in your word that we might trust you. Lord, I pray that you glorify yourself even as you help us to deal with the sin of anxiety and frustration today and as we go from here. In Jesus' name, amen.